The following recording is from Life Church. If you'd like more information about Life Church in Woodstock, Ontario, visit lifeinyou.com. It's good to see you all today. Smiling faces. Well, some of you. Some of you are pretty stoic looking. That's okay. It's okay. My kids think I have a stoic look. It's usually when I'm tired or I'm thinking. And there's something about the Tucker family. We all have a scowl. And sometimes it looks like we're mad. Not, not my side of the family. It's more the power side. But I've been fitting in. I've been fitting in. I've been fitting in just nicely. And it's just we're thinking hard. And we're happy. We're just thinking hard. And so uh, today's going to be a fun day, a good day. It's going to be a, a, a test of endurance. Not because I'm going to go long, but because every once in a while underneath that door, we've, uh, uh, we've put fans that are blowing all the smell like garlic bread. Pasta sauce. You might be, what's he talking about? Well, if you didn't notice, we had some tables out there. It's the fifth annual spaghetti dinner uh, fundraiser for the academy. So, following our service, we are going to get our, our, our eat on, right? And so, we're going to have a good time, but that means they have to prepare it. So, I know I'm going to be battling smells and temptation and mind wandering to wonderful areas, you know, because this guy's especially, I think, uh, I have two boys. And uh, we think with our stomach. Ladies, we do. We honestly do. Uh, we, do we love you so very much when, you, when, when, you, when you're cooking. It's like, man, she, my wife has never been better looking when she produces those smells. Like, oh, gorgeous. You smell so. That's right, it's true. And my wife is gone. If you're wondering why I'd be imagining about my wife this moment in time, she's gone for the next nine days. And uh, guy stuff. Let me tell you, guy stuff. The Bible says this, and uh, I've been thinking about this prior to her leaving, and, and this has been really good practice, that men, uh, what I see in the Bible is this. It talks about how we are to love our lives like the way Christ loved the church, and how did Christ love the church? He loved his, uh, the church such that he poured out his life for the church. And so in the very similar way, the relationship we have with our wife and our family, this is not my message at all. This is for free. Um, uh, we are to pour our life out, like literally just drained dry for our wife and our kids. And if that doesn't like just excite the inner man, kind of like when you watch 300, the movie 300, you know, 300 guys against thousands and thousands and thousands and all the men are like, yes! And all the women are like, the odds aren't right. Why don't they negotiate and talk? You know, it's like, well, defeats the purpose. Yeah, just strap on the belt and give me the sword and the shield and we'll go. And that's what, what it's the inner man. I think it just kind of tweaks the inner man because that's what we're designed to do. We're designed to, to be tired, wake up tired, go to bed tired because we've poured out our life for our kids. So, so I didn't get to bed until like four something last night because I didn't get a chance to work on nothing uh, for the last three or four days uh, just doing dad stuff. So, so you might be dealing with a tired person up here and I might stumble a bit, but I'll be okay. So, that being said, uh, turn to Acts, Acts 5. Uh, what I'm going to talk to you about is, um, I'm actually going to, we're going to go over the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and you might be like, oh, I know what that's about. That's about being generous. And I, and I want to talk today, that's actually not about being generous. That story has a very different point to it, and I'm going to show that to you, because I'm sure we've heard messages about, well, you know, here's what they did, and the reason why this happened is because they weren't generous, and that's the point of the story, and that actually is not the point of the story, and I'm going to take you there and show you that. And those of you who know the Bible, like, oh, Ananias and Sapphira, that, that, um, that story takes place at the start of Acts 5. Well, in order to understand what's going on, it actually takes place earlier than that. It takes place in about 4, chapter 4, verse 32. I won't take you all the way there for sake of time, but you have to go back a little bit. And I'm going to take you to Acts 4, verse 36. 
And we're going to start from there. And I'm going to read through, and then we're going to kind of go on a little journey together. Everyone ready? I hope you got your Bibles with you. The ushers already went through, but if for some reason you didn't put up your hand the first time and you really want one, jam that hand up there, and the usher will come and run in. Acts 4.36, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles, apostles, <sighs> four o'clock in the morning, who is called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, uh, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The, uh, heard it. the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, I tell you, probably tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And that is the word of the Lord. So, so let me just start off. One of the reasons why I really like this story uh, is because it, it doesn't idealize the early church. It wasn't all roses and righteousness. Let's just put it that way. You know? Because sometimes we look back at the early church and said they had it going on, and, and, and it, in a very real way, it's just like today. Because even the very best churches, in the best churches, the lion roars and searches whom he may devour in whatever way is possible. And so in a very real way, you can look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira and say, well, you know what? That just shows me that just like today, there were issues. It wasn't all uh, roses and righteousness. There were issues. And the lion was seeking whom he may devour. And in that particular case, those were the two who were devoured. But really what we have here is we have two contrasting stories. The story of Ananias and Sapphira doesn't stand alone, but it is contrasted against what is happening in the church and what has happened up to that point. So what's happening, this is Acts 5, and so the church is just blown up, it's exploded, and they're living in a culture which is pagan, and they're living in a culture which is, uh, uh, well, in, in a Jewish culture as well. They're not, they're not pagan, and they're not quite Jewish. The Jews don't know what to do with them because they're not quite like us. And the pagans, well, they're just another religion that's not like us as well. And, and it's, they just had, of course, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. And there's the big explosion where, where Peter gets up and he preaches a message that just floors the city. And 5,000 come to Christ right away. And so instantly there's a church. And there's a mixture of Jews and Greeks and, 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 and 
well, not yet. It's just all Jews now, sorry. That comes later. But it's, it's a mixture of Jews from all, all over, and some even choose to stay in Jerusalem but just because this is, it is now their home. And it's a mixture of, of you know, different econo- economic levels, from the poor to the very rich. And, and this happens. They now have new needs, new demands placed upon them. And, and what happens is we have a contrasting story. One between a guy named Joseph and another one by the name of Ananias. And both of them do the exact same thing. Identical things. They both sell property that is theirs and they both bring the proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet. But the two had very different motivations and of course two very different outcomes. So we're just going to start talking about Joseph We'll start there, and of course that starts in verse 32. We didn't read 32, but 32 explains why Joseph did what he did. This is Acts 4, 32, and it says, now the full number of those who believed. Okay, let me just stop there in verse 32. We're talking about believers. We're talking about the church people, people who believed on the gospel, believed the message of Christ. And that, in believing it, it caused something. And what did it cause? It says here, it says, those who believed were of one heart and soul. So it produced a unity across the board from people from different economic levels, education levels, work backgrounds from the highbrow to the lowbrow, from blue collar to white collar, from, like I say, from cricket and caviar to nachos and NASCAR, all in there together, right? With this whole group of people, and it created a one heart and a unity, and one heart, one soul. And from that, it says, and no one said that anything would belong to them, and that they had everything in common. So what became is that that the, their, let's just be honest, and especially in this age now, it's all about me, myself, and I. What can I get? But it seems that that at least this early church was freed from that. Freed from that desire and the pursuit of things for their own, I mean, to be consumed on their own desires. And and it became free, free to, you need it, I got it for you. You need some help, I'm there for you. You need this, I'm there for you. And from that, Joseph, from that, this man, Joseph, he was transformed by, because he was a believer, he was transformed by the gospel such that that, uh, he was unified with the body and where the grasp on his own possessions became weak and dim, and he just said, hey, for the good of my brethren, he gave up his land, sold it, and gave it to the apostles. And he was just following. Here, Joseph was a man who was just following the self-sacrificial example of his Savior. That's what was his motivation. And in verse 36, we find out, thus Joseph, who is called by the apostles, apostles, again, apostles, Barnabas, You might be like, I recognize that name. Yeah, he's the guy that went with Paul. Paul and Barnabas. This is him. Which means son of encouragement. So they gave him a nickname. He was so well known and had such stature with the apostles. They gave him a nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he gave it away. And his motivation was because he believed. And his motivation was because he was unified with the body. His motivation was because it wasn't his own. It's yours, God. Do with it as you wish. His motivation was, I'm a soul transformed. I'm a life transformed. And I'm following the example of my Savior, my self-sacrificial Savior. 
I'm just following that example. And that's what was going on. But let's contrast that with, well, now we have, just let me explain what's going on here. We have a man named Ananias who, along with his wife Sapphira, sell a piece of property. And with his wife, wife's full knowledge. So it's saying, just what that's implying is he had made up in his mind, this is what I'm doing, told his wife, this is what we're doing, and she's like, okay, I will, I will go along with you. I'm tracking with you on this. With her full knowledge, okay. Let's get our stories straight. Here's what our stories are. Great. This is what you'll say. This is what I'll say. Capiche, we're all good here. And they sell this property with the wife's full knowledge, and he keeps a portion of the proceeds and brought the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet. And sometimes we're, we're told, okay, here's where his sin was, is he didn't give everything he was supposed to give, and that's not true. The reason why I know that's not true, several things. What's not going on here wasn't mandated. They didn't mandate people sell this property and do these things. They weren't on some sort of fundraiser for the, fundraiser for the poor. They didn't have bake sales and all these things and trying to raise money for the poor, and this is part of what he was doing. That's not what was going on here. He didn't have to sell his property. He didn't have to sell his property. I'm just making sure you understand that that's not what was going on. And even Paul, not Paul, Peter, even Peter himself says, hey, while you own that property, wasn't it yours to do whatever you wanted with it? Okay, great. Uh, And when you sold it and you had the cash, you could do whatever you wanted to do with it. Why did you conspire to test and lie to the Holy Spirit? The testing and the lying of the Holy Spirit wasn't that he kept back the money. It was that he let everyone believe or tried to let everyone believe he gave it all. So there's the issue. Why? There's the rub. Why would he, why would Ananias and Sapphira try to make everyone believe that he gave it all? Not just brought some money, I sold this and here's some of the proceeds. Why would he go out of his way to make it known or thought that he gave it all? There's the problem. You might be like, well, I wonder why. I wonder why. Because here's what Peter says in verse 3. It says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Keeping back part of the proceeds of the land is not the issue. And the reason why is this. He goes on in verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So keeping it back is not the issue. It's the lying. So why? So why? Maybe he wanted a nickname like Barnabas. He's got a good nickname. Look what he did. And he, he got this high stature amongst the apostles. Well, if I do the same thing, I too will get a high stature. So I'm going to copy, I'm going to duplicate, I'm going to do exactly what Barnabas, Joseph, did so that I too may, you know, get a nickname from the apostles. He definitely didn't do it because he didn't, because he shared Barnabas's compassion, but really it's an issue is that he covets Barnabas's reputation. He doesn't have the same compassion that Barnabas has. That's not the motivating reason for his giving. It appears in every context to be he just covets Barnabas's position of maybe authority, of maybe respect in, in the church. He wanted to appear more generous than he actually was. 
Really, this is a story of contrasts. That of two hearts, one of a heart transformed by the gospel and one of a heart that still, still hasn't been transformed, has the brakes on, doesn't truly yet believe. And there's an element of show. And here's, here's, here's the two things that I see happening that show this. There's two things that mark, because this happens in the church today. This is a story of contrast between Barnabas and um, Ananias. And two, two men sitting under the same teaching, sitting in the same church, but having two different results. Why? Because one man's heart's been transformed such that he is... He is, he, he is he has unity with the brothers and the sisters and, and, and the grip of possessions is, is, is fading away from it's dropping away and he's willing to use his possessions to help propagate the gospel and to help serve his, in a self-sacrificial way his brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's another man who looks at that man says, I want, I covet his position. I covet his piety. I want to be thought of in the same light, the same level of respect that he is and held to in the church. And so I will do what he does, but the reasons are completely different because his heart hasn't been transformed, because he doesn't truly believe. And I'll show you why. Because there's two signs, there's two things that you'll, you'll find, and this happens in the church today when it comes to this. And that is this, the two things you're going to see is that we play the game well. When, we, when our heart hasn't been transformed by the gospel, we play the game well. And we treat sin lightly. And you're like, what's the game? Well, here's the game. You know the game, and here's how it goes. It's the one where we say and do things in order to appear more than we really are. Appear more whatever, appear more holy, appear more together, like we got it together. So that we receive admiration So we, from man. It's kind of like the fear of man versus the fear of God. We want the respect of men more than we want the respect of God. That game, that game where we'll do and say things just to appear more. And the other thing is that we treat sin casually, like it's not that bad. It isn't. That's what we do. We, what we do when we play the game, by the game, by doing things and saying things that make us appear more, is we treat life like Camelot. If you don't know what Camelot is, Camelot, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, Camelot. So Camelot and all its glory and beauty, and it has, has King Arthur sitting on his throne and everything looks good, but in the background you have Guinevere sleeping with Lancelot. Looks great on the outside and messed up inside. And that's what we try to do. We try to put on a show like Camelot, like the king is on his throne, but in the background Lancelot's sleeping with Guinevere. And then we say that sin isn't so bad. But if you know the story of Camelot, that took down the kingdom. Guinevere and Lancelot took down the kingdom. Not that I want to take the story, a made-up story of King Arthur and Knights of the Round Table and hold that above Scripture, but it does mirror exactly what happens in life, does it not? Where we, where we try to, let's be honest, you know, we, when we, how many of you, don't put your hands up, when you came to church today, there was, the temperature was a bit higher than normal. I don't mean because of the heater was turned on, because of the conversation between kids and spouse and everything else. The temperature was a little bit higher. Get in here, you're not even going to be late. But when you hit the doors, hey, how are you doing, glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's good to see your smiling face. I'm blessed, how about you? You know, that type of thing. 
There you go. How many have been there, done that? I have on, in spades in my past. You know, and I still do that from time to time, unfortunately. But, but that kind of thing, where we will do things, we'll say things, we have ways of speaking and acting amongst our Christian friends, but if our Christian friends saw how we spoke and act amongst those who weren't brothers and sisters in Christ, we'd be like, whoa. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been there, done that? How many of you never had a heart to serve, but just because you didn't want to look bad, served? Maybe you didn't have a heart to give. It's not in you to give. I don't want to serve, but the peer pressure just made you crack down. I'm going to do this so that I don't appear out of place. It's the difference between a heart transformed by the gospel and just simply going through the motions and trying to fit in. The Camelot. I want to... Everything looks good on the outside, but inside, Guinevere and Lancelot are messing around. And the other thing is that we sometimes treat a sin as not so bad. Because that's exactly what Ananias are here. I can, he thought he could lie to the people and not realize that lying to the people would be equated to lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard some people say, well, because he lied to the church. No, no, no. I don't want to put the church on a pedestal it shouldn't be on or a man to be on there. But here's what I know that all sin, period, is geared towards God. And I've used this example. David himself said this, I've sinned against you and you alone, God. And if you know it's David's story very well, he committed some sins that had fallout and casualties, adultery, murder, Murder especially, you you are doing something that impacts someone directly, but yet he still said, God, ultimately, at the end, the one who was most grieved, the one that was most offended by my actions, although, yes, casualties, horizontally, it's towards you and you alone. And so these Ananias and Sapphira thought, hey, we can lie. We can lie to these people. Ain't gonna be too bad. And Peter comes out and says, why did you choose to lie? against the Holy Spirit. Sin ain't so bad. You know, and I fall into this just as easily as anyone else. A great example is this week. Oh, my goodness. I've been, for a while, wanting to watch less TV. And so for me, watching a lot of TV is becoming sin. TV's not a sin. Don't sit there and say, watch, they teach at this church, TV's sin. No, no, but God's trying to tell me to watch less of it because my time is valuable and I need to invest it in other things. And so I'm the kind that can get distracted so easily Facebook is not a sin, but boy, you put me in front of Facebook for a while, it becomes a sin. Pinterest, for some of you, is a sin. Getting that that health magazine for some of you, especially those of you who have body image issues, is a sin, where you look at that and compare yourself and go, oh, I don't look like that, so maybe I need to do a few more hours of working out, and there's nothing wrong with working out, as long as working out doesn't have you, and that becomes, you know, you get your value and self-image from how many crunches you can do, and how many abs you have. Some of us have one, and that's all we need. Some of you are shooting for six. I think you are just type A people that really need those, or you're just greedy. Give some to the rest of us. I just think you're greedy. You don't need six. One's good enough for me. Actually, I'm working on two. I'll get two eventually. That's just for health reasons, not for... You know, aesthetic reasons. 
But to tell you, God, God's been showing me, you know, hey, you got to back off on the TV. And so you want to know how I'm winning that battle? Here's what it is. And I fall into this just like a nice comfy coat. I got a call the other last week saying, hey, we'd like to uh, register your TV watching. Would you be willing to write down everything you watch? And I was like, sure, why not? And do that for your whole family. And I'm winning the battle on TV because I'm lazy. I'm like, oh, it's just too much effort to write the stupid thing down. And I, and I have this weird uh, idea of character. I can't lie to them and watch TV and not write it down. And so I have to, I've had the TV off and I'm sitting here, I'm winning this battle. But I'm using the sin of slothfulness to win that battle. And I'm sitting here thinking, what a, you know, it's kind of like winning over the anger issue by moving to an island all by yourself. I'm winning! I'm angry at nobody! But there's nobody around. You've, you've segregated yourself such that you can't sin. And so, and for me, I'm sitting there thinking, I was sitting there thinking the other day, I was like, I'm doing pretty good not watching TV. And I sat and thought about the reason why I'm winning is because I'm too lazy to write it down. And I don't want to lie to them and tell them that you know, I forgot to write things down. So I've been avoiding TV so that some person I don't know I can impress. And so it's all these sins fighting against each other. At the end of the day, who's going to win? It's still going to be sin. And you're like, oh, I would never do that. Well, let me tell you how you do that. I'll tell you exactly how you do it. Men and pornography, forgive me. Whoa, it got really quiet. You will take self-righteousness and combat pornography. And so whether pornography wins or self-righteousness wins, that fight, sin still wins. Ladies, you'll take worry. I'm going to pick just on the guys. You'll take worry. You know what you throw in the ring with that? You take manipulation and control. Like I'm concerned my kids are going to go down the wrong way. So what you do, you manipulate and control. And at the end of the day, whether it's fear or manipulation and control, sin wins. So, hey, we, we, like a comfy blanket, we fit right in that, right? We just wrap ourselves in that, and then we can say, well, I'm doing good avoiding that sin, not realizing you wrapped yourself in that diseased blanket that you don't want wrapped around you. And so this week has been a really eye-opening, like, man, I'm doing good not watching TV, but boy, I hate the reason why. Oh, it's like a shot between the legs. It's just uh, awful, it's awful, but I thank God that he points that out because then it's like, I didn't realize that. In the life of a Christian, someone asked me and said, you know, the longer I walk with God, I find more things to repent of. Is that right or am I just messed up? My response is, no, the closer you get to the light, the more it's going to show those imperfections which need to be corrected. And so the life of a Christian is going to be progressive of more and more sanctification. Some of you were, you know, some of you were axe murderers with halitosis and hangnails. And so you had a lot to get, you know, you had a lot to clear up. You know, your hygiene, and you had to hang up the hatchet, and you were doing good there. And now you're starting to discover these smaller things, which back when you were an axe-wielding murderer with halitosis and a hangnail, you had other issues which were prevalent and needed to be dealt with. And now you can see these other smaller little things. Sorry, that's a weird example. That's called tired my mind works in weird ways when I'm tired. But the reality of it is, is this, is that, is that the story of Ananias and Sapphira versus Joseph or Barnabas is this. It's a tale, a comparison of, of, of two believers sitting, sitting under the same teaching with all the same opportunities, one whose heart and life are transformed, the other one whose heart and life isn't. And because it isn't, they, they try to put on a veneer of Camelot. But 
the sin that's going to bring them down is lurking behind the walls and it's not being dealt with. Now, please don't hear me say this. Oh, Jason's saying that I should be perfect. No. Our church and every other church is supposed to be filled with those people who are hurt, those people in need, those people who have sins yet are struggling to overcome, combating them, addictions, all sorts of different things. Your choice of poison. And this is a safe place. Maybe you, maybe you struggle with gender identity. The church should be a safe place for us to work that out with you. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you struggle with uh, fear. Maybe you struggle with, you name it, your choice of poison. This is a safe place because we all struggle. I've already just admitted to you, I have my warm blanket of laziness that I've wrapped around me to help fight and combat another area in my life. That's wrong, and I need to deal with that, and God is. And I can say that to you knowing full that each and every one of you don't go, and he's up there talking. You guys understand full well that we are all in need of the great, uh, great surgeon to cut away certain things to remove things from our life. So I'm not saying we need to be perfect, but we shouldn't pretend to be Camelot and not address Guinevere and Lancelot at the same time and that our heart motivation should be to obey God. It should be, it should be fueled by the Spirit and driven by love and gratitude for what he's done for us. That's what it is. And so if you or anyone else in the world who's a believer is combating and fighting those things that should not be there and it's being fueled by the Holy Spirit and driven by their, uh, driven by their need of love and gratitude, not a need, but driven by love and gratitude for the, to God for what he has done, if that is you, that is the right heart attitude. But if, if, if it's driven just to look the same as everyone else and to fit in, you need to do a gut check and say, am I being Ananias? Am I being Ananias? Doing the right things for the wrong reasons. One of the things, uh, I'm not gonna be too long, but I, wanna, I, I really wanna hit this one thing. R- really, the, because I've told you what the issue was, I didn't give you the cure. The issue is this, that in those contrasting stories, one man's life was transformed. The other man's life wasn't. In James, if you read James, there's this discourse where he starts talking about faith and works, and some people get confused. Because, but you have to take, you have to take every scripture in light of the whole Bible, and we know this, that we're saved by grace through faith and not of our own, right? And even the faith that we have is a gift from God, right? Even the faith we have is a gift from God. So he, in every order of transaction when it comes to salvation, he's involved and he's the one who's initiating everything. He's gotta be, but it does talk in James about faith and works. And it says this, it says in James 2.14, it says, what good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? What that verse is not saying is this. Well, you better do something, otherwise you won't be saved. You better work, 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 work. No. What it's saying is this. It's comparing it, saying, okay, there is fruit to living faith. 
There is fruit to faith that God has given you. There's proof in the pudding that that is a salvific faith, a faith that will save you. And what's that going to be? It's going to be works. And so in Joseph's life, Barnabas's life, what you had here is you had a man who was transformed, and because he was transformed, the automatic fruits of the transformed life was him being at unity with the brothers and, and, um, and just being open and giving and generous and, and his possessions because he realized they're not my own. Everything I have was given from God, and I'm also going to follow the example of my brother who poured himself out for me Self-sacrifice, so I too will pour myself out for the brethren. That's the faith that saves. One whose fruit is works. Not the other way around, well, I'm going to make some fruits in order to be saved. I'm making sure you understand that's the difference. The Bible says this. Sin shouldn't, we shouldn't put a blind eye to sin. In the case of Barna, uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, what do we know from the Bible? It says this, that God despises, abhors lying lips. We need to take sin seriously. Galatians 2.16 says, yet you know that, that a person is not justified by works of the law, doing things, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no man will be justified. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you had a little gut check today in our conversation, because the reason, the reason why I'm teaching this today is because a, a few weeks ago I was teaching about why we would ever go back and pick up that that sin which binds us. This is kind of take two on it. And that's this, is that we can easily fall into one of those two camps, sit in church and play the game and also think that sin really doesn't matter when sin really does matter. The cure for that isn't works, isn't doing these things, isn't using self-righteousness to combat our sins or using one sin to combat another. But the solution is this, to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ and to repent of your sins. And what happens is God transforms your heart. He will knit you to a body. Maybe not this one. That's okay. God has local bodies and assemblies, many in this city, where you can be knit to and grow and flourish and have the word of God poured into your lives and you pour your life into others. But it comes from repentance and faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ and saying, because of what you've done. The Holy Spirit fuels it, drives it, and, and then you're fueled by gratitude and love. And, and, and that's what repentance is. I've been to some churches where I've heard them say, well, repentance is a work and you're not supposed to do works. Oh, the logic, I don't want to go through the logic. I'm too tired to go through how, how stupid that is. And if that's you in this room, please forgive me because I don't mean to offend you. But yeah, that's stupid. Uh, the Bible over and over again says, here's what I've done, it's complete, now do. Here's what I've done, you don't have to do it. I've done it all. Now go and do, become. 
And so repentance isn't a work. Repentance is you becoming what God has made you out to be. It's what it is. You were created for good works, saved to good works, the Bible says. So go and do. Don't do these good works to prove you're saved or to earn salvation. It is, this is what I've done. This is who I've made you to be. And out of who you are, the heart that's been transformed, you become. And so the cure to becoming an Ananias and Sapphira, she didn't get off to because she tracked with her husband. Do you notice how Peter gave her the opportunity and asked, did you actually? And she had an opportunity to repent. She could have simply said, I know what I've discussed with my husband, but I just can't bring myself to lie to you. But she chose to track with him. And maybe another day we'll talk about why the outcome was the way it was. And maybe there's a level of maturity to that conversation, which I, uh, which I think maybe we have to get to. But let me just say this, that, that, that there is always a cost and a payment for sin. It's a price that I can't afford to pay, neither can you. I'm just thankful God did. And because he did, why would I ever want to flirt with the thing that pinned my Savior to the cross? That's why I try not to sin. And that's why when I see myself wrap myself up in that comfy blanket, once again, that's why I repent and try my best to set it aside and continue on with him. Not so that I look good in your eyes. Not that, so that my wife appreciates me or my kids respect me. Nor to earn anything from my father in heaven. But instead, because I love him so. It's the same reason why a child wants to mimic their father or mimic their mother. Just because there's that family resemblance. They want to be like dad. That's what I want to do is I want to be like dad. So I'm going to close, but let me just pray this prayer with you. I'm going to give you an opportunity. We'll eat shortly, and my smeller must be not working. Usually I'm really good. I haven't smelled any garlic bread coming in here. So maybe by God's grace, so that we'd keep our mind focused, he's done that. But let me just pray with you. I, I just want you to understand that, guys, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we serve an awesome, a glorious, and wonderful God who saves sinners undeserving of salvation, saves us, transforms us. Church is a horrible hobby and a horrible game to play. If you show up here and you're not a child of God and not endeavoring to become one, it's a horrible hobby. Much better things you could do with your time. And you never end up like, I guarantee you, Ananias and Sapphira, after they saw that, the seeker-sensitive movement shut down. The price is too hard. Too, I mean, you know, seeker-sensitivity dies with Ananias and Sapphira. It's like, yeah, the dues are a little high to be part of that club. Uh, and and you got to understand, this isn't a club. This is a family where the children of Christ, children of God, sorry, placed here, representing Christ's body on the earth. And I know this for a fact that you and I, the only cure for, for becoming an Ananias and Sapphira is to have a heart transformed. And so if you've been sitting there saying, all these things I've been doing 
just to look good. I've been serving to look good. I've been giving to look good. Maybe, maybe it's heck, you've been giving for the tax receipt. That's also a weird thing to do. But hey, thank God we get the tax receipt. But all these different things you're doing for the wrong reasons, there's a gut check you need to stop and say to yourself, am I transformed by the word of God? Gut check time. So let's, let's have that opportunity. Maybe that's you and you need, need me to pray with you and give you the opportunity to what I said, what I say earlier, repent and believe. Here's what you need to believe. You need to believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price upon the cross. I'm like, well, that's a weird, why would he have to pay the price upon the cross? The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. So what you earn, minimum wage for what you do is death. You lied. Like, none of us, if I, if I, if I went through the, the Ten Commandments, none of us pass. We fail at kindergarten-level morality. You and I fail. How many, let's, okay, how many of you have ever lied? Hands up. Okay. How many of you have lied since becoming a Christian? Hands up. Okay, great. Every hand, well, great. almost every hand. And those who didn't, probably lying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we fail kindergarten-level morality. You and I do, and that's just one of the ten, and I could go through, and I'm sure I'd get you almost on all ten. We fail at that. We do. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Minimum wage is death. Christ died in your stead, paid the fine. If you were to get a ticket today, and someone went and paid that ticket, you'd walk in and say, hey, I got a ticket, and they'd say, no, records show it's been paid. Someone else paid your fine, and it was Christ. He died in your stead. The Bible says you need to believe that, believe that God sent his son. He died, lived a sinless life, died. And if that was it, that'd be enough to pay for our sins, but we'd still be a people to be pitied. The Bible says pitied above all if there wasn't the resurrection. Because no matter what this life throws at you, and sometimes life throws some pretty heinous, ugly things, here's what we know. This life, which the Bible says is like a vapor, is not even the beginning. It's, it's just like a, and then life begins in full. So no matter what life throws at you, understand this, there's more. And, and what we get isn't a bigger bank account, a bigger car, a bigger anything. That's a North American Christianity. That's wrong. What we get is at the end of the race is we get him. We get him. That's what we get. And if that doesn't appeal to you, then a gut check time, you're probably not saved. If it's like, well, I was expecting all the great things to come, and that's what I'm wanting. Yet in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2, uh, no, 1 Corinthians 2. Oh, gosh, brain fart. It basically says this, that the natural mind is enmity with God. If, if, if someone's offering a gospel message which appeals to everyone, come to God and he'll make you a millionaire. Everyone wants that, then that's not the gospel. But if it's come to God, lose your life so that you might gain him, and it's like, that sounds like a good trade, then the spirit of God put that in you. Because the world doesn't want that. Come to Christ and lose my life? That means I'm not the boss anymore? Bad trade! Blind fool just said that. Bible says that blind fool right there. So I'm just letting you know that you must believe that he is the son of God, died on the cross, paid the price for your sins, rose again from the dead, and it's a completed work. You don't add anything to it by your good deeds, and nor does your sin take away from that. And because of that, 
you will so, once that takes root in you, you'll be so driven to become more like Christ because the family resemblance. I want to look like my brother. I want to look like my father. You'll be driven to become just like him. The Bible says this way, conform to the image of Christ. That's the cure for all of this. So I'm going to pray with you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 10, that if you believe in your heart, what I just said, and you say that with your mouth, confession, it says you will be saved. You're justified and you're saved. Then I'm going to give you that opportunity. But understand this. You can recite a prayer, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, if you don't know what that is. A lot of Christianity I find is bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, just do this, say this, and we're done. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, that's from, what is that Disney show? Doesn't matter if you don't remember it. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, and that's not what Christianity is. It is a confession that reflects what's in your heart and a belief that is driven by a full knowing. And so that's what I'm going to pray with you. And if that is you, you believe, you believe that this is the case and it's true for you, then it was true for you. And you'll begin the, a journey that you've never been on before. I've met so many people who claim to be Christian that 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road realize I never was one at all. Thank God for his grace that he kept you in a place that would keep pouring and pouring, pouring the word of God into you such that you'd be set free. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to pray with you. And, and, and if, if, if this is you and you're wanting this and you've never, uh, never made this decision, never prayed in such a way and, and, and confessed your sins to Christ and put your trust in him, repented and believed, then let me know. Raise your hands and we're, we're going to connect you with someone after service. But I'm going to pray with you together. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head. While all, hands are, while all heads are bowed, throw your hand up if this is you. If I'm praying with, if this, if this is you that we're praying with. Okay, we're gonna also going to do it online too because I know we have people who are watching online. Dear Heavenly Father, we trust and we believe your word. So when we see in your word that apart from Christ, man cannot be saved, we believe that. We can work our fingers to the bone trying to do all the right things and, and, and it just won't happen. It just won't happen. We can't do it. So Father, we place our trust in you knowing full well that when we place our trust in you, you are trustworthy. You have completed the work. Your son came down, died upon the cross for our sins, my sins, their sins, all those who would trust and believe that he died for us. And Father, not only did he die for us, he rose again from the grave for us so that we might know there is something beyond the life we live now. We have a hope for the future. And so Father, if you would repeat after me, everyone, dear Father, I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins and I place my trust in you. I'm tired of trying to do and I want to rest in what you've done. So Father, forgive me. I thank you for the gift of your son, his death, 
his burial, his resurrection, and his, now he sits at your right hand. He is my mediator, my advocate, and he tells you, I am yours. So, Father, help me, conform me, make me into the image of your son. I thank you. I'm submitted to you. I praise you, honor you, and glorify you with my life. Thank you, Father. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.